0: Hello, welcome to the podcast of Grace Fellowship Church, Shrewsbury. We meet every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. in Southern York County, Pennsylvania. You can join our morning live stream on Facebook or YouTube. Just search for GFC Shrewsbury. You can find more information about us at gfcshrewsbury.org. We are so excited to bring you this message today, and it is our hope that you will come to know and believe Jesus Christ more fully through it.
1: Good morning, Grace family. It is uh, it's a joy, isn't it, to just gather and celebrate our king, our risen king. He is risen. All right. Some of you knew that. All right, everybody. He is risen. He's, he is. That's what we come to celebrate this morning. If you are new with us, uh, either here or watching online, a special welcome to you. We are so glad you're here. If you're new, my name is Ben. I'm one of the pastors here. If you are part of our regular family of grace and you don't recognize the guy who dusted his suit off from the back of his closet this morning, my name is Ben, I'm one of the pastors here, we are, uh, we're gathered to continue in worship. So we were just worshiping in song, we're here to worship now in, in words, so as we open God's word, worship is nothing more than turning our attention to God turning our attention to our Lord. And so that's what we're going to continue to do. And hopefully, as, as much as our souls can get lifted up and respond emotionally to a song and respond in spirit to a song, I, I pray that that would happen us, to us as God, God's word pours out over us as we listen to that this morning. So I'm just, I'm just going to pray one more time for that to happen, for worship to continue as we open his word. So uh, would you bow your heads one more time with me? Lord, Lord God, I thank you for meeting us as we worship you. As we turn our attention to you, I thank you that your attention is already on us. Whether we know it or not, you have pursued us. You have sought us out to draw us to yourself. And even if someone here in the sound of my voice just doesn't know you at all, they are here and they are listening. And that's evidence that you're drawing them to you. So God, I pray as we open your word that it would impact us. Your word is alive it's sharper than any two-edged sword, it, it pierces us to the heart, Lord. And so I, I pray this morning that your word would pierce us and that it would quicken us to life. If, if there's any part of us that is, that is dead, that has not responded to your saving work, Lord Jesus, I pray that you would, uh, you would rise up in us, that your spirit would rise up and draw us to respond to you. I thank you for the power of your word. God, forgive us for forgetting the power of your word. May you remind us this morning. It's In your holy name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. So, almost 2,000 years ago, on that first Resurrection Sunday, there were some women who were friends and followers of Jesus Christ, and they gathered spices and they went... They went to the tomb. They went to, to take care of Jesus' body and they, they went to the tomb expecting Roman guards and all the Roman guards had fled. They went to the tomb expecting it to be sealed by a heavy stone and someone had rolled away the stone. And they went into that grave expecting a body and there was no body there, just two angels. Just two angels, and they they said, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. And... And Luke chapter 24 tells us that after this, the women returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11. that's the uh, 11 disciples of Jesus, minus the, the one who had betrayed him. the 11 and all the rest, all the other followers of Jesus who happened to be gathered there. So they, they went, ran and told them this news. But, but these words seemed to them, seemed to the other disciples an idle tale and they did not believe them. Imagine that. Those women had just become witnesses to the greatest event that has ever happened and will ever happen in the history of the universe. They are the first ones entrusted with the news of the greatest work that's ever been done, the greatest news ever, and they tell it, and it seems to everybody else an idle tale. Does that sound familiar? (laughs) For those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, we're in the same boat. We've got the the greatest news in the history of the world. And we are gathered today with millions, billions of our brothers and sisters who are also gathering today in, in, in churches and places of worship and their homes throughout the world. And we are celebrating our risen king and, and, and yet, there's millions and billions more to whom this is, is just an idle tale, who, who don't believe. Bertrand Russell, he was one of these. Bertrand Russell was a philosopher, a mathematician. He was a Nobel Prize winner. He was a member of the British House of Lords in the 1900s. And he, uh, he was also an atheist. And he did an interview in the late 60s, late 1960s, and the interviewer asked him about this. The interviewer said to him, let us suppose, sir, that after you have left this sorry veil, you actually found yourself in heaven, standing before the throne. There in all his glory sat the Lord. Not Lord Russell, sir, God. And Russell winced. (laughs) And the interviewer asked, what would you think? And Russell said, I would think I was dreaming. And the interviewer said, but but suppose you realized you were not. Suppose that there before your very eyes, beyond shadow of a doubt, was God. What would you say? And Bertrand Russell replied, I would probably ask, Sir, why did you not give me better evidence? That's what a lot of people are asking these days. Where's the evidence? We're in the middle of a series of John called Knowing Jesus. How do we know? Where's the proof? And, and even us, for us believers, wouldn't we want more proof? <laughs> Be, because there, Jesus Christ, listen to me, Jesus Christ is on trial today and every day. Out in the world, people evaluate him and inquire about him and accept him and reject him. And so many of us know this because we spend our our weeks interacting and going to our workplaces and other places outside these walls or outside the walls of our home where there are those who do not believe as we do, who do not accept this great news and who are even antagonistic towards the God of the heavens and towards Jesus Christ, his son. And Jesus Christ is on trial every single day. And doesn't it feel like when these questions come up, if, they, if you get into conversation, when you get into conversation about this with someone who doesn't believe, doesn't it feel like it's your word against theirs? Whatever the question they have, you might know an answer, but the knowledge never seems enough. It always seems your word against theirs. Jesus Christ is on trial and we would want evidence. It's nothing new. It's nothing new. Jesus Christ has always been on trial. He was on trial for his first followers. He was on trial during his life, and that's where we find ourselves this morning. In John chapter 5, if you haven't been with us, we're we're continuing in a a journey that we've started at the beginning of the year through the Gospel of John, and we land this morning partway through that journey and actually halfway through a story. So so we were in the middle of a story last week, and it's continuing today, And, and it's a trial where Jesus Christ is on trial before the Jewish leaders not an official trial but it's a, it's a trial just like all the trials that he's under today and, and just to catch us up this morning so at the beginning of John chapter 5 Jesus healed a man but who was sitting beside a pool he was an invalid he was among other people who needed healing and they were gathered around this pool to find healing from the pool and Jesus walked in and gave him healing from a person the only person who could give him, give him healing. And Jesus said to this man, get up, take up your bed, and walk. And everybody celebrated. Everybody was happy, except not everybody. The Jewish leaders weren't. Because Jesus had done this, and it happened to be a Sabbath day. And, and, and Jesus, by doing this, and the man, by carrying his bed, they said, well, you're, you're breaking a law. He was breaking a law. He was breaking man's law, not God's law. And... and, and to pile on top of that, not only did they see him breaking this man's, man's law, but he, he said, my father is always at work, Sabbath or no, and I'm always at work. And by saying this, he was making himself equal with God. And for that, they wanted to kill him. That's what scripture says. That's why eventually they did kill him. Because he was making himself equal with God. And they say, that's blasphemy. Where's the proof? And so Jesus begins to answer. And we saw part of that answer last week. He talked about his authority Pastor Mark preached about the authority of Jesus Christ and how that was the same authority that God carried because he was God in the flesh. And, and we pick up right now in the middle of this trial, and it, it's, it's really the most dramatic part of a trial. You know the most, most dramatic part of a trial, right? If you're watching Law and Order or uh, uh, whatever courtroom dramas, the most dramatic part of a, a trial is when they call the, the key witness in. They call the key witness and they bring the witness to the stand and the witness tells their side of the story. The witness tells what they saw and then the lawyer will ask, is the person you're talking about today, are they in the courtroom? And the witness will say yes and and, and the lawyer will ask, will you please identify that person and they'll point and they'll say that, that's him right there and case is closed And this is the part of the trial that we find ourselves in. Jesus is going to call witnesses to the stand, And so we're in John chapter 5, starting at verse 30. If you uh, want to turn there in your Bibles or in your devices, you can. Otherwise, you can just listen as I read them to you. Jesus says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just. Because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So Jesus, again, is carrying what he said last week. The one who sent me, my Father, I'm doing his will, not mine. I'm working with him. It's not my power. It's it's him in me. And then he says, if I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. So if it's just me, it's just my word against yours. You're not going to believe me. There is another who bears witness about me and I know that his testimony is true that he bears witness that the witness that he bears about me is true I think right here Jesus is talking about the first witness the Holy Spirit we're not going to talk a lot about him today come back in a few months when we're in John 16 17 we'll we'll talk a lot more about the Holy Spirit but that's one witness that Jesus calls And, and then he goes on he says you sent to John that's John the Baptist you sent to John and he has borne witness to the truth Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. I don't don't just have those witnesses. Let me call a few more. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the, the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. So this is the other member of the Trinity. We've got son here. He just mentioned Holy Spirit and now he mentions the father. Bore witness about me. His voice you have never heard. His form you have never seen. And you do not have his word abiding in you. For you do not believe the one whom he has sent you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life and it is they I don't remember which finger I'm on now but <laughs> it's they that bear witness about me you search the Scripture, uh yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life if I do not receive glory I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another, and you do not seek the glory that comes from God alone? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father, Jesus says. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me but if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Case closed. (laughs) Trial ends. He's called all the witnesses, and we're going to look at three of these witnesses today, and the first one we're going to look at is John the Baptist. He says this, you sent John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. Jesus says, you remember John the Baptist? He's talking to Jewish leaders. Even they liked John the Baptist for a little while. You liked what he was saying. He was down by the river. I saw you among his groupies. You bought the t-shirts. You bought some of those JB bracelets. You were following him. He, he was the one who was, you liked it when he told tax collectors to charge you less taxes, and when he told Roman soldiers not to oppress you, lower taxes, police reform, that's a platform all of us can get behind for, and all of them could too. And, and the Jewish leaders, they even liked it when he preached repentance. He said, Y'all, you all, everybody, you've got to clean up your act. You've got to follow the law because the law was their thing. And, Until they liked John the Baptist, until he turned on them. And he called them a brutal brood of vipers. And and he said, You Pharisees, you're just as bad as all the rest. Where other people put greed or lust on the throne of their souls, you put the law, you put good works, and you think that's what gets you right with God, and you think you're doing great. You're not. Repent. This was John's message. Repent. And it wasn't, his message wasn't repent and try harder. His message wasn't repent and try harder. His message was repent because, and admit that you can't do it. Not just the deadbeats and the criminals, but the church guys, the religious folks. Repent because your way will never work. Repent because you are hopelessly trapped in your sin and you can't ever get rid of it. You can never be good enough. You can't save you. You can't fix you. And you know what you need? You need a savior. And that's why John testified about Jesus. He said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. See, John was a witness to this. He was a witness to our need. He was a witness To our need. And we can listen to his words from nearly 2,000 years ago, but you don't have to look far to look for this witness. Have you recognized your own need lately? There's a witness to Jesus Christ in your life, whether you know it or not, it's in the mirror. Have you looked lately? Because there's a deep need each one of us have in our souls that is only met by Jesus Christ. Nothing else will meet it. We've tried. A lot of us could testify. We could witness how we've tried. The world tries to throw tons of stuff at us to say, here, this will meet, you, meet your need. Go after a great career. Go after the one, the right spouse. Go after, uh, go after more money. Go after more sex. Go, go after more followers, more likes. Go after more. And yet, do you notice how that never fills us up? H- have you gone after this? If you haven't, go after it. God's not worried. Go after it. It's not going to fill you up. It's not. There's this hole that only Jesus meets. And the world keeps throwing distractions at us and we swipe and we click and we surf all of those distractions because it's the only thing that'll numb the pain. Because if we don't, we'll be left sitting in silence and we'll have to face the loneliness and the shame and the guilt that all of us feel. H- have you ever wondered about this? What? Do you know why you feel ashamed? Sometimes you don't even know why you feel ashamed. Do you know why you feel ashamed? Because you've done shameful things. I've done shameful things. We've rebelled against the God of all creation who invited us to himself. Do you know why you feel lonely no matter how many friends you have? No matter how many followers? Because we, all of us, have walked away from the only relationship that will meet our needs and cure that loneliness, a relationship with the living God. God. Do you know why you feel like you're never enough? Because you're not. And I'm not either. There's no way we'll never, ever be enough. Listen, we can't fix us. We need a Savior. So if nobody else tells it to you today, let me let me tell you, you're toast. <laughs> I, I'm toast. We're done for. We can't fix us. That's why we... That's why we're so glad Jesus doesn't just stop at John the Baptist. He calls another witness. (laughs) Look, but the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. Praise God. (laughs) It's not just you can't fix you. Praise God. The, the, The testimony I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I'm doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. So Jesus says, all these miracles that you see me doing, they testify. They tell you something about me. Do you know what they tell The Jesus works testify to God's power and pursuit of us. Because if all we do is recognize our need, that's useless. We got to recognize that Jesus can meet our need. He has power and that he wants to meet our needs. He pursues us. Thomas Jefferson, you all know Thomas Jefferson, one of our founding fathers, instrumental in the beginning of this deeply flawed and, and, and also deeply beautiful country. He was a product of the Age of Enlightenment. And the Age of Enlightenment was focused on reason and and on man's ability to improve himself through his own virtue and reason. And Thomas Jefferson, being a man of enlightenment, had a pet project that he worked on, come to be known as the Jefferson Bible. In 1820, it was around 1820, he did this project and he took the four Gospels Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in one hand, and he took a razor blade in the other hand. And he cut out passages and passages. Anything, any passage that he found unreasonable, he cut out. See, he wanted to get to the pure teachings of Jesus Christ, the pure teachings of Jesus Christ. And so he cut out any mention of Jesus being divine, because it was unreasonable. Any mention of Jesus being God? He cut them all out, along with every miracle. All Jesus' works, he cut them all out. And when he was done, he was left with, listen, what he called the most sublime and benevolent code of morals that has ever been offered to man. That sounds lovely, except it's useless. Not the, not the words of Jesus Christ are useless. I'm not saying a code of morals is useless. Thomas Jefferson hadn't figured out that he couldn't fix him. He wanted a code of morals, except that's not what Jesus came to give us. Jesus did not, praise God, come to give us a whole bunch more rules that we were unable to follow. His works, listen to me, testify to this. That's why you, his works just aren't a fiction that you can ignore, They're not just a sideshow. They're evidence that Jesus came to proclaim the power of God. He has the power to fix us, and he pursued us. See, Jesus didn't come to proclaim rules. He stood up in the temple. He stood up in a synagogue one day, and he read from Scripture. And what he didn't read is that he came to proclaim new rules. He didn't read that he came to proclaim welfare for the poor. He didn't read that he came to proclaim rehabilitation for the prisoner. He didn't read that he came to provide seeing eye dogs for the blind. No, he, he stood up and he said, I have come to proclaim good news for the poor that nobody else has. I have come to proclaim freedom for the prisoner that nobody else can give. I have come to proclaim recovery of sight for the blind, all those blind spiritually, which is every one of us. Recovery of sight is what I've come for. And then he walked out of the synagogue and he found a blind guy and he healed him just to show, no, I I, I came to fix all your mess. I have the power to do it. Do you know Jesus has the power to fix all your mess? Every bit of it, the deepest need, the deepest mess in our souls, Jesus has the power to fix it. His works are evidence of this. This is why there, there was one day Jesus went to a, a, an invalid man who he, he couldn't walk, he was lame. And his friends brought him to Jesus to be healed. And Jesus said to him, The first thing Jesus says is, Son, your sins are forgiven you. See, he takes care of the deep need. He says to the man, That deep loneliness that you have because you've walked away from God, that re, the, the guilt and the shame of your rebellion and your rejection. Of him, everything you've ever done wrong, the shame of that, all of it, forgiven. And then he turns to everybody else and he says, now I, I, I know you can't see that that just happened. So I'm going to give you something that you can see. And he said to the man, get up and walk. And that deeply loved, fully forgiven man took up his bed and walked because Jesus has the power to fix all of us. And you know what Jesus works? Testify that God is pursuing us, not just that Jesus can fix us, but that he he wants to. Thomas Jefferson, he was a deist. He was a deist. That means he, he believed there was a God. He believed that God created the universe, flipped a switch, turned the universe on, and then God walked away and left all of us to fend for ourselves. Now, most of us here would say, well, I, I don't believe that. I believe God created the universe. Most of us maybe believe that, that he's still actively involved. He's sovereign over every, everything. And he's involved in, in the world today. But I wonder how many of us are, are, are just practical deists in our own lives. Like sure, sure, God is sovereign over everything. Sure, God is involved in other lives. I've heard about him doing stuff in other people's lives. But deep down, there's this des- desperation and this hopelessness and this angst because you wonder maybe if god just left me to fend for myself can i tell you he didn't god pursued you you want proof look at the works of jesus christ you want proof look at the works of god we've been talking about some of the works that god does over the last couple weeks pastor mark preached a few messages on around healing and the healing that God can provide in this life and the, and the next life. One of the things he shared was that uh, we, we need to pray. We're called to pray for healing in our present lives. And in fact, most of the prayer requests that get submitted, a lot of them here are, are, are requests for physical healing or emotional or spiritual healing right now, right here on this side of life. Do you know what we can't go without saying is that we also see results of that, those requests God doesn't answer everyone in the way that we want but God answers those prayers we've seen cancer patients healed inexplicably miraculously healed who are part of our body some of them some of them in an instant some of them through the work of doctors and nurses and chemo guess what it's still God it's still an answer to prayer he's still at work we've seen addiction broken in people's lives We've seen strongholds shattered. We've seen relationships restored. God is at work and it's proof that he's pursuing us right now. Do you know this? If you're ever in doubt, there's a work you can point to And it's not even the recent work. Maybe say, I haven't seen any of those in my life. You know, the work of Jesus Christ you can point to is the one we came Friday to celebrate, point to the cross. You want proof that God pursued you? Jesus Christ came down and died on a cross to bridge the gap between you and God, to invite you back into relationship with him, to take care of all your sin and your shame and your guilt and your brokenness and invite you back in And all that's left is for you to respond to him. Have you responded to the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross? If you haven't, do it today. This is what Jesus' works testify to the power of God. God is able to fix our mess. And the pursuit of God, God wants to, He's coming after you. There's one more witness. You search the scriptures. Jesus says, because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Jesus calls the scriptures to the stand to get up there and testify to him. And he says, look at the scriptures. All they do, all they do is point to me. They witness to me. And these guys were missing it. These guys didn't recognize it he says to him there's one in the end who's gonna accuse you if you don't believe Moses you put your hope on him because Moses wrote about me those guys might have been confused some of us might be confused what did Moses write well if you might know that Moses wrote the first five books of our Bible Genesis Exodus Leviticus numbers Deuteronomy and Jesus says Moses wrote about me well what's what are those books about well they're about creation um, fall of man right they had to leave the garden Noah's Ark remember that um, Abraham supposed to sacrifice his son Isaac on a hill and get saved at the last minute not to do that I don't know what that was all about and then children of Israel they're, they're slaves in Egypt right they become a big people and God, God releases them across the Red Sea right and they, they wander around in the wilderness go towards the promised land that's, that's what it's about right well it's, it's actually about more Jesus says it's actually about more. You can start all the way at the beginning. Genesis chapter three, you know, there's, there's Adam, and it's through Adam that sin and death enter the world. Do you know Jesus Christ is the second Adam that brings forgiveness and life? Jesus is the seed of the woman, Genesis chapter three, that will crush the head of the serpent. Jesus is the ark that rescues us from the flood of God's judgment. Jesus is the one through whom Abraham's family will bless the entire world. Jesus is the lamb of sacrifice that God himself will provide. Jesus is the one born to deliver his people out of slavery. Jesus is the great I am. Jesus is the ultimate Passover lamb. Jesus is the way through the sea. He's the bread from heaven. He's the tabernacle. He's the only one worthy to enter, finally enter the presence of the Lord. Jesus is the one who fulfills all the law perfectly. Jesus is the great high priest. Jesus is the snake lifted up in the wilderness that will draw all men unto himself. Jesus is the prophet that Moses said would come and speak the words of God. I could keep going, but you get the point. All of Scripture points to Jesus Christ. Some of you need to go back and read the Old Testament again. It all points to Jesus. It's not two stories. It's one. And Jesus says, he says, you're searching the Scriptures and you don't come to me. He's not telling them to stop searching the Scriptures. He's saying, search the Scriptures and see me there. I'm in there. It reminds me of that resurrection morning again and and some of you know the know the story that after those women told that story that seemed idle tale two two walked off and they were headed to another town and jesus comes along unknown to them and gives them a bible lesson shows that it's all about him all the scriptures are about him and then he reveals himself to him oh this this is jesus and they they've seen the risen lord now they have the greatest news too and they run back to all the other disciples back in jerusalem and they say, we know. Like we, he, he already appeared to Peter. And as they're talking and as they're wondering, Jesus shows up in their midst again. Right there. And, and this, is, this is what I was supposed to say. Scripture testifies to the person of Jesus Christ. But this is what Jesus says. He gives them a Bible lesson to prove this point. He gives all his disciples a Bible lesson to prove this point. This is what he said. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. You sum up those three things, that's our our whole Old Testament. He said everything written about me and all of those must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. See, they're pointing to me. And then he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. He says, look, all scripture is pointing to me. It's all about me and my death and resurrection. And do you know what that means? Forgiveness of sins for you scripture is a witness to the person of Jesus Christ see it's not just about our need it's not just about coming to clean us up it's about drawing close to him the point isn't for us to get clean the point is for us to be with him and this is this is why resurrection is so important the resurrection of Jesus Christ do you know what the Jefferson Bible ends with the Jefferson Bible ends with Jesus Christ dead in a tomb the end Because in addition to all the miracles of Jesus Christ, Thomas Jefferson cut out the resurrection. If you do that, there's no point to be in here. Paul says, if Christ is not risen from the dead, then our faith is in vain and all of us are still dead in our sins. The good news is, it's not just an idle tale. The story doesn't end in the tomb. The story ends with Jesus Christ risen from the grave. And do you know what that means? That means that his disciples weren't the only ones who can have a relationship with him. Jesus Christ is alive today. That means that you can respond to his finished work and have a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you're asking questions this morning, you want evidence for him, get in a relationship with him. Get in a relationship with him. If somebody had come and told me that my wife was an awesome woman, that my wife was incredible, I might not have believed her. Believed you. Because I didn't know her. But then I got to know her and I got in relationship with her and I found out that she's an incredible woman. Do you want evidence for Jesus Christ today? Get in a relationship with him. Turn to the God you half believe in. And say, God, I I need you to care, take care of this shame, and this guilt, and this loneliness, because I've turned everywhere else and I come up empty. So I'm turning to you. And surrender your life to Jesus Christ. And it'd be a miss today if I didn't give you the opportunity to do that. And so I know so many in the sound of my voice have done that, but I want to give us an opportunity right now if we haven't to just say a brief prayer. And the power isn't in the words. The power is Jesus Christ, and it comes as we respond in faith to him. So I want to invite you here in this room and at home to close your eyes and bow your heads. And I, I want us right now, if we've never been aware of our need, to be aware of our need right now. That Jesus is the only fix for that. That he did not rise again to an idle story, but he rose again in power and life, and he offers that to us today. And, and so if you've never responded to Jesus Christ that way, or, or even if you have, you can repeat these words after me in your heart because we never outgrow the gospel. So even if you said this prayer for the first time 30 years ago, you can say it again today freshly because we never outgrow the gospel. So in your hearts with me, I invite you to respond in faith and just say, Lord God, Lord God, I'm so sorry for my sin. I realize now that I can't fix me. You can. And God, I I come to you aware that you sent Jesus Christ for my sins. And I know now that he's my savior. And I choose to call him my Lord. Lord. I surrender my life to you, Jesus. Have your way in me. Amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time today, you've taken a step. A step towards life. And you might be thinking, what now? Well, well, here's the thing. For those in here, tell somebody. For those at home, tell somebody. You can connect with myself or others this morning here who are ministry leaders. I'd invite you if you're at home or even later in the week, if you're here, email connect at gfcshrewsbury.org. Let us know of the decision you made and we'd love to connect you with other followers of Jesus Christ who will help you know what this walk with him is all about, what it means to follow him. We'll get you a Bible if you need it. We'll start to teach you what this is all about. But, But still, we might wonder what now? What now? And I I bet the disciples that day, as Jesus appeared to them, were wondering, what now? And do you know Jesus tells them, what now? His very next line, he tells them, what happens now? The next thing he says is, you are witnesses of these things. See, the witnesses haven't stopped with John chapter 5, Jesus now says, I died, I rose again. My friends, it's your turn to take the stand. That's what Jesus says to his disciples. My friends, it's your turn. And you don't spend 15 minutes on the stand. You're going to spend the rest of your lives on the stand. And I want you to go out and I want you to tell other people about me. I want you to tell them of the work you've seen. I want you to tell them about the cross and how you saw death. And I want you to tell them about the empty grave and how you saw resurrection. And I want you for the rest of your lives to point and point and point. When they say, who, who are you talking about? Point to me. And you know what the disciples do? They do it. They go out and they're witnesses for him the rest of their lives. Read through the book of Acts and they preach and almost every time they preach, you know what they say again and again and again? They say, listen, Jesus Christ died. Jesus Christ rose again. We were witnesses to these things. What about you? What about you? If you've responded to Jesus Christ, friends, it's our turn. It's our turn to be a witness to tell others that we have a need and there was nothing else and no one else who could fix it but Jesus Christ. We get get to get up with the rest of our lives and tell people of the power of God and how he chased us down and drew us to himself. And we get to point people when they ask us who, when they ask us how can, how can I find that too, we get to stand there and point for the rest of our lives to point to him and say it's all Jesus Christ. Will you come to him? Will you come to Jesus Christ? And so I, I invite us today as we go out, listen, if you haven't before or even if you have, look Look for how Jesus has met your deepest needs and continues to work in your life today. Do you see his power at work in your life? He is. Do you see it? Wake up to it. He's working. There's evidence there. Look for it. And when you find that evidence, when you see that evidence, remember it and put it all together in a testimony and rehearse and tell your testimony. Rehearse and tell it. Not for 15 minutes on a witness stand. For the rest of your lives, point and point and point and point to him. But I know a, a, a testimony, people can ask you, hey, what's your testimony? That's a hard question to answer sometimes, isn't it? Well, I mean, he's done a lot of things and it's hard to sum up. Well, that's why you got you to sit with it. You got to remember what Jesus has done. But, but I'll give you an easy start this morning. If you're ready to be a witness for Jesus Christ, would you stand to your feet? And let me tell you how your testimony starts. Let me tell you what all our testimonies start with. This is our testimony. From death to life. By God's grace, he rewrote our stories. And now if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, we are alive. Through Jesus Christ, the righteous, we are justified. This is our testimony this morning, Grace. Let's declare it together.
0: We hope you enjoyed this message. You can find more like it on our website under sermons. To keep up to date with our sermon series, hit the subscribe button in your podcast host and follow our social media pages. Just search for GFC Shrewsbury on the platform of your choice. If you're looking to connect with us further, then you can email us at connect at gfcshrewsbury.org. We will be back next week with another message. We hope to see you again soon.